Hello there, FBI radio listener. Joey Watson here, and you are listening to Out of the Box. Every Thursday from midday to one, I get to sit down with one person and talk through stories from their life and the records which have defined them. Today, Stella Donnelly. Two years ago, Stella was playing in a handful of Perth and Fremantle-based bands with a rotating cast of mates. Having left a corporate cover band, she was working in hospital, all while she was penning some songs that would change her life. In 2017, they were released in the form of her debut EP, Thrush Metal, led by the politically charged and very memorable track, Boys Will Be Boys. Thrush Metal would propel Stella on to claim the inaugural Levi's Music Prize at Big Sound, take Unearthed Artist of the Year, get an international record signing and take festival lineups by storm. Stella's soon-to-be-released first full-length is called Beware of the Dogs. Its singles Old Man and Lunch have already been spinning here at FBI Radio and at the foot of undoubtedly a very significant career in Australian music, Stella Donnelly. A warm welcome to Out of the Box. Thanks for having me, Joey. No worries at all. Stella, tonight you are playing at the Opera House Forecourt, supporting Missy Higgins mm. and John Butler. Does does the enormity of that resonate with you after everything that's happened? Absolutely, yeah. It's just one of those things that um, I think once I get there, I'm going to freak out, you know, when I when I see the Opera House and, and to play there is just such an honour. And it's so cute. My parents are actually just flown over from Perth oh, to come no. to the show. So it's so sweet. They've, you know, I think they, they have, they are very well aware of the enormity of the situation themselves, I think. And That's it's so just lovely. a really beautiful moment. Yeah. 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 Does, do, I mean, how, how, how does this work for them? I mean, you've had this enormous trajectory for two years. I mean, your entire world world has kind of changed Mm. how does that reflect with your family do you talk to your parents about that and what's kind of going on in your head yeah they're so supportive of me and I guess I'm also really lucky to have have a family that are super grounding and you know nothing nothing has changed in terms of our relationship you know if I go over there for dinner I'm still expected to wash the dishes you know (laughs) what I mean it's like we don't care who the who we don't care who you are you know pull your weight and that's like I'm really really lucky to have that that sort of family and that sort of you know community around me how do you stay grounded are there there things that you do that help you kind of stick to it or um I mean I think I I I'm lucky to be 26 and not kind of 18 and and having my formative years in a public sphere I think would be really scary I was lucky enough to make all my all my ugly mistakes you know in my early 20s in the privacy of of Perth (laughs) you know and you know my I've had you know some phases that I would never want anyone to see uh you know luckily behind closed doors so um you know I think that that plays into it is that you know the grounding I'm lucky to you know to be to be who I am now and going through this sort of thing do you ever think about where you might be if things hadn't taken off I think I'd still be 
working um, in a cafe uh, back at home. It was a really cool cafe. It was really fun to work at. So, and I think I was I was actually about to study. I had enrolled at university um, just after putting out the EP. Um, yeah, oh, and what were just, you going to do? I was going to do sociology. Yeah, so it just kind of everything kind of changed, and I've put that off now. But yeah, I think I'd I'd definitely still be playing in bands and playing, you know playing in various outfits and and just kind of you know following that path and whatever path kind of you know paved furthest wow yeah Stella Donnelly the singer right singer songwriter versus Stella Donnelly the sociologist yeah perhaps not so far removed from each yeah other. yeah totally <laughs> do you think much about um fame like have you had people approaching you on the street yet is that something that that's that's coming or I had a really funny moment it doesn't happen very often I will say it doesn't happen often at all really but I did have a funny moment just before Christmas last year I was running into my local record shop to get like a secret Santa present and as I ran I tripped over the curb and fully fully stacked it like grazed like the front of my body you know I was I was pretty injured and I you ripped a hole in my jeans and you know it took me like a moment to kind of get the breath back into my lungs and and get up and this this lovely girl came and helped me up and then immediately asked for a photo with me and it was probably the most humiliating <laughs> so yeah it always happens at the worst times I get recognized we call it you get recognized uh, but yeah so that was that was probably one of those great moments that uh, I'll never forget and I don't think she you'll ever forget either. <laughs> now, Stella, I've asked you to narrow down your life to five songs today. Was mm. that a tough ask? It was it was a tough ask, but I forgive you. <laughs> <laughs> it was it was a, it was a challenge and I there is a lot there are a lot of artists that I left off that. Mm. Um, there are artists like Paul Kelly and you know Crowded House and Regina Spector and stuff that I didn't include on that list, but that they, I feel like they deserve a mention mm. in my, you know, my journey as well. Do but, you do you still have the time to listen to music i mean do you... oh more than ever wow. more than ever i mean you know with flights and stuff like that you just kind of you know and long road trips and and you know you're constantly when you're on tour you're constantly in transit yeah. i feel like music's taken an even more front seat role in my life since making music it's it's quite interesting yeah and i still i love it you know it's something that doesn't really yeah it just still doesn't feel like a job to me you know yeah. On that note, Stella Donnelly, what can we play uh, to ease our way into this out of the box? Um, so this song is Tears in the Typing Pool by Broadcast. So come to the Oh, man. 
from England that was broadcast and tears in the typing pool. Singer-songwriter Stella Donnelly chose it and she is my guest on Out of the Box today. Stella, this is a story that starts in Wales, actually, mm. in the industrial suburb of Morriston in yep. Swansea. <laughs> what sort of town was uh, was Swansea where you spent uh, quite a bit of your early childhood in? Yeah, um, it was... From you know when when you're kind of really young, you you see things in the fairy tale way, you know that that you see the world as a child, I guess. So looking back, I don't remember the, you know, the overpolluted, overpopulated kind of thing. I remember the the castles and the the forests and the the nice food and the singing and and all of those things. And and those things are very much still, you know, part of the Welsh culture. And um. I, you know, we moved to Wales from Australia when I was about five because mum's Welsh and we wanted to kind of have that experience for my sister and I to be able to kind of, you know, get connected with our family over there. And we went to a Welsh speaking school and everything. So, you know, I had to learn another language to get by. And there was just a whole lot of new experiences for me as a young wow. child. Tell, tell me about that. What was that like going to school, speaking Welsh after? I mean, how old were you when you moved I over? was five. So... I think it just happened easily, to be honest. I think easier than it would had I gone now. You know, I think when you're a kid, you're a little sponge and you just you just kind of roll with it, you know. And I, I feel like we underestimate how amazing children can be at just adapting to situations, you know. And, um, yeah, my sister and I came back, like, after two weeks in school and we were kind of fluent in Welsh and ready to go. Yeah, we just kind of – we didn't have a problem with it. It was, yeah, really funny. How is your Welsh today? It's okay. Yeah, it comes back. Whenever I go back there, it, it comes back a lot but right now I could probably have like a very minimal conversation with you <laughs> about what food I had for dinner you know <laughs> uh, it was during this time Stella that mm. you uh, you first started performing in some way but not, <laughs> not as a mu- musician but as an actor in a radio soap soap opera yeah how did that happen well my my both of my aunties my mum's two sisters are actors and their partners are actors as well and they they're very much involved in the welsh kind of um in the welsh acting world i guess the welsh film industry and those things and um at the time that the radio soap opera was quite a big thing you know people listened to them religiously and there's this Welsh program called Pobolukum, which is, means people of the valley in English. And I guess it's the Welsh home and away. Um, and there's like a radio show that's a side of that, that's kind of like a spin-off series. And it's based, it's called Eileen and it's based on the main character in that. And my auntie played Gloria, which was my auntie in the play, in, in the show. And I got to play a girl called Seaned and she was the daughter of Eileen. And all I remember is every second Friday, my dad and I would drive from South Wales to North Wales and listen to cassette tapes and uh, you know 
I'd get fed really nice donuts. <laughs> I literally remember the food more than I do the actual job, to be honest. Um, and yeah, but it was, it was, it was quite a, a fun thing to do for me. Eventually, your family um, uproots again and moves back to Fremantle. Yeah. Moves to Fremantle and WA. Yeah. This time you're a bit older. What What was that experience of uprooting like for you? Um, it was fun. I mean, I apparently had like an American accent for the first week because I was trying to get rid of the Welsh accent and trying to put my Australian accent back on. I was very much, I was a kid that wanted to adapt, you know what I mean? I wanted to just belong. I didn't want to be the, the sticker yardy, you know, weird kid with an accent. You know, I, I definitely just wanted to kind of fit in. And, um, but you know, it was, it was fine. It was, it was fine. It was, I, you know, I'm lucky to have such a beautiful family in, in both continents. And um, yeah, I feel like there, I've got these two kind of lives running parallel and tell me about Fremantle I mean uh, after everything that's happened that's still your home now mm. what what is it about the uh, the city that draws you well yeah well my family actually didn't move to Fremantle they moved to a place called Quinns Rocks which is north 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 of Perth City it's more like suburbia right. but then when I left school I moved down to Fremantle myself I was guess I was just drawn down to that place because there's just so much art and culture and and you know and those sorts of things so I mean it's not far from my hometown but it's it's just it's where you kind of move out to and it doesn't cost too much really you know it's cheaper than living in Perth City um, and it just it's such a beautiful community there of artists and and um, f- the food culture there is amazing because it's the port it's a port city so that's when you know when people get got off the boats uh, you know from Italy after the war and they they stayed in Fremantle and built restaurants there and, and then same with you know the Vietnamese community they got off the boats and opened up amazing restaurants there too so there's an amazing food culture in Fremantle that you don't quite get in any other part of Western Australia it's great. Were you exposed to music when you were little, Stella? Yeah, absolutely. My dad, my both of my parents really um, just uh, had constantly had music playing around the house or in the car and and stuff like that. And my dad plays music, and he was always singing songs with with us and and stuff like that. So, yeah, I was what really did, lucky. What does your dad do for work? What's my dad's a school teacher, and my mum's a nurse. So wow. they're very much in the you know, underpaid giving <laughs> part of part of our kind of society, and they're they're just beautiful, beautiful people. And is, is music yeah. involved in the sort of uh, school teacher that your dad is? Yeah, my dad's. Uh, he started out doing kindy teaching actually, which is really cute. Um, but he now does performing arts, and he does you know singing, and he runs the choir, and yeah, he's he's a primary school teacher, so it's it's always you know getting kids into music, which is fantastic. And yeah. do you think you had some of that when you were little? Oh, absolutely. How no. would he expose music to you? I mean, how 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 did that happen? Uh, I guess we just always played around. There was always instruments around. There was always a piano there. And um, I do have this very, 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 it might have even just been from a family video that I remember this. You know, you're never quite sure whether your memory is real or whether it's from what someone's told you. But dad used to put me on his head and 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 sing like a Pink Floyd song and just like move me around on his head <laughs> as he did it. So funny. So I can't remember what that was. But yeah, so they, there's always kind of, there's always been music around. <laughs> yeah. That's not an indoctrination into music. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> did, yeah. Did you have lessons? Mm. 
Um, we did. Uh, I did piano lessons when I was little, but other than that, no. I, Dad got me a guitar when I was eight, taught me a few chords, and kind of sent me on my way, really. And yeah. I, I haven't had a lesson ever on guitar. Maybe I should. Uh, but yeah, and, and you know, I've never had a voice lesson either. So that's all kind of. I've just kind of built that as I've gone along, really, based on the experiences I've had. And what about live music? Was that part of your life when you were growing up? I think my first concert was the Wiggles, which which was was loose as I remember just getting you know taking heaps of pingers and going off. Um, no, but it no was doubt. like, <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, we Dad took me and my friends, my friends and I, to Blues and Roots Festival, which is like our West Coast blues fest, I guess. And I remember watching Angus and Julia Stone playing like two in the afternoon before they'd kind of established themselves as major artists and. You know, I was just blown away. I was blown away by the festival scene. I just, I was, it might have been from all the passive weed smoking that I accidentally did, but I was I was on a high for the next three days after that festival, yeah. If we can circle back mm. to Wales, um, yeah. where we started for this next track, mm. what would you like to play for us now, Stella? So this next song is by a band called Catatonia, and I don't know whether they had much of a coverage here in Australia, but back in the 90s, the late 90s, they were massive, and they were they they were led by a, a woman called Keris Matthews, who actually works in radio now. She works for BBC Six, and she has her own segment, and she's just an amazing, amazing advocate for, for new music now. Um, but back in the day, I just was so inspired by her. And we would listen to the cassette tapes when we drove up um, to do that radio soap opera. And she really managed to get sweet and nasty at the same time and get her point across in such a weird way. And I, I found that, yeah, maybe she influenced me in that way that I was able to kind of get get a serious point across but but you know trick you with the sweet music at the same time so yeah she's she's an amazing amazing writer
from Welsh group Catatonia. That track was Road Rage, coming to you via Stella Donnelly. How's the Welsh accent in that? Oh, <laughs> road you ba- Rage! <laughs> I got Road Rage! It's brilliant! It's oh, great. Yeah. Some like real nostalgia. Oh for God, I'm I'm having full bumpy bumpy goosebumps out here at FBI today. It's great. <laughs> Stella Donnelly, where were you when you started writing songs? I was in high school. Um, I was uh, yeah, just kind of started making stuff up on the spot really and and uh just I didn't really have much to write about to be honest I was you know when you're 16 and you think that you've lived this really long life but to be <laughs> honest you've just been in the burbs for 16 years and you've, you're, you're pretty fucking bland uh what, but yeah what were you writing about when you were 16? um I think I wrote a song about my nan's house which is really sweet of me that is um, very sweet. yeah I wrote a song about it's called our place and I rhymed place with place about seven times throughout <laughs> and uh yeah it was it was fun, yeah. And it's it was. I, I actually realised that I I completely ripped off um, the guitar part of another artist, which I'm going to play to you later. Oh. I don't want to segue to that one just yet. We'll, I'll talk about that soon. But yeah, a little but, teaser. Yeah, a little the teaser there you go. Um, but yeah, so I, I realized that I accidentally subconsciously stole someone's song. So that song was never seen the light of day. Thank goodness. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I was writing when I was about sixteen and. And I've been kind of hopefully improving since then. <laughs> Did you get to perform these tracks? I performed them in school. Yeah, I performed them in school. And then I left when I left school, I auditioned for a, um, a it's called WAPA, which is the West Australian Academy of Performing Arts. And I, yeah, I got into that. And that's when I kind of stopped playing guitar a little bit. And I started kind of focusing on singing, I guess. Yeah. I I want I, I want to get to Whopper in a second, mm. but first, um, you had some you were doing some sets at a local market. Oh yeah. Can you tell me a bit about those? Yeah, so mum would go and do her food shopping at the Wanneroo Markets and I was like, well, I'm going to make some money. (laughs) So I would go down with my guitar and busk while she did her food shopping and then she'd like come past like and be like, you all right to keep going? I'm I'm like, yeah, yeah, I'm good, I'm good. She's like, okay, good, I've still got to go get like the fruit or something. You know, it's so cute. (laughs) So I would make like 20 bucks or something and I would just be there just performing other people's songs and um, I remember once making three. Hundred dollars. I don't know. Everyone wow. must have just been like. I think Perth maybe hit their like financial kind of like right. peak at that point or something. Everyone was happy boom. to. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I was exploiting that totally. Um, I made three hundred bucks, and Dad was like, "Well, I'm going to take that, and you can have that when you're a bit older, because that's ridiculous. <laughs> We're not just letting you spend that money now." Which was really smart, and I'm grateful for to Dad for doing that now. But yeah, it was did, funny. Do you ever get noticed at the market shows? Yeah, I got like I, this person came up to me and was like. Um, I can make you some money if you want. And I was like, what? And he's like, yeah, I book like cover cover shows at like pubs and restaurants. Um, how do you feel about making like $300 a, a gig? I can get you some gigs. And I was like, oh my God, yeah, but you've got to talk to my mum and dad first. I'm only like 16 or something. And, <laughs> and then we had a meeting with this guy called Frank and he ended up giving me like a shows and I, my first ever proper gig was at a place called the Wanneroo Tavern Tell and me it's, about that. it's a place where you win 
a voucher if you eat this like giant steak. Like if that, that paints a picture for you, it's one of those kind of restaurants that it has like the massive like ribeye or whatever. And I would stand in the corner playing Wonderwall and Kiss Me and Drive by Incubus um, and many Missy Higgins songs, <laughs> which is so funny that I'm playing with them tonight. Wow. Um, but yeah, and that was my job for a while and my parents had to take me because I was underage. I couldn't be there on my own. And um, yeah, I kind of just fell into that, which is so crazy. How long did that last for? I mean, how many how many pubs are we talking? Oh my God, so many pubs. Like, And there were always like rough pubs too. Like I remember getting like heckled so much. At 16? At 16. Oh, what yeah, were they well, I, it went on up until like, I did up until I was like 19. Okay. And I remembered some guy just being like, you need to play some Johnny Cash. Like, and just like, if I didn't play Johnny Cash, I'd get like yelled at. And I'm like, no, like, I just want to, you know, I want to play like Love Song by Amiel, like leave me alone. And, <laughs> and yeah, I just got heckled to the death, which was good for the soul, good for the ego. Was there a moment in that period that you thought, yeah, this is what I want to do? Um, well, no, I mean, I was doing covers, so I definitely worked out that that's what I didn't want to do, I think. I think that's when I, when I left doing cover music, um, and started kind of creating stuff that was mine or being part of people's original projects. I think that was the big moment, I think, mm. when I when I joined a, a band called Bells Rapids, and I wasn't the, the, the songwriter on that, I was just the guitarist, I you know, played electric guitar for the first time in that band. And that was when I was like, this feels good. This feels right. You know, like going into a room and creating something and being part of that. That's when I knew music was really for me in that way. Well, from the pubs of Western Australia, your relationship with music was not so tainted that you still uh, decide to audition and take up a spot at the Western Australian Academy of mm. Performing Arts, as, mm. you, as you mentioned, WAPA. What was what was WAPA like? Well, I was 17 when I got in and I, I, I think it was a really um, intense thing to jump into straight out of school. I, I wish that I'd kind of gone and taken a gap year and, you know, boosted it up in, in, I don't know, London for a year or something like that. Yeah. But I, you know, I went straight into it and I, you know, I would catch two buses and two trains to get there every single day. It took me like two hours to get there every day. And it just kind of, it just kind of had this culture around it that maybe wasn't so positive. And I think because at the time there weren't many female lecturers or, uh, you know, it just kind of had this, we're going to shape you into this sort of artist. And if you don't like it, you can get out. And so what I, sort of artist was that? It was like, you know, someone that sang Toto really well, or, you know, like it, it, it just kind of focused on, you know, this kind of one dimensional era um, sorry, not a one-dimensional era, but like one era that, that just kind of, you know, was the police, Toto, the Yellow Jackets, Stevie Wonder, you know, and like, which are all incredible artists and they were all, they all shaped me to now. But I knew that if I stayed there any longer, I would have probably just fit into that and ended up with a dipped, you know, which isn't a bad thing, but at the time it just didn't suit me. So I dropped out. I dropped out after a year and a half. And was that a big decision? I mean, do you remember that being something you had to deliberate on a lot? Or Yeah, I remember it being really upsetting. I remember I was, I think, and that was also, to get really candid with you, but I think that was also the first time that I noticed that possibly I had a bit of a, like a, you know, 
a, a mental health problem with anxiety attacks and stuff like that. I think that was the first time I was having these kind of panic attacks without knowing quite why I was having them. And it was always, I would get to uni and I'd park the car and, and I would just kind of start hyperventilating without realizing why. And, and I think that all got a bit too much for me. So I dropped out and most of the musicians I know in Perth dropped out, which is really interesting. Yeah. Mm. Um, and yeah, I just don't think it, it it was a well-established course at the time, but I think it's gotten better now, speaking to other artists who, who go there now, yeah. Off the back of that, tell me about the corporate cover band gigs that you started doing. Yes, yeah, so I, I got into the... I just, like, heard... While I was at uni, I heard someone that they were, they were having auditions for this co- cover band and they make heaps of dollar. And I was like, okay, cool, I'll just go and try it, try it out. And I, I just... Um, went and sang I think I went and sang like Whitney Houston which as a like a little white girl just shouldn't happen just saying like that's ridiculous um but I you know I went in an audition and I got in and then I was like in this band that we we played like pharmaceutical company Christmas parties and weddings and stuff like it was full on like it but it was you know it was an experience and it taught me about being in a band and it taught me about singing ACDC next to a Black Eyed Peas song and you know like Love Shack you know and (laughs) Like all these songs, and it, it really, it really trained me vocally without me realizing it. Um, but three years on, I was getting so depressed doing that. You know, there's only so many times you can sing "Walking on Sunshine" and be happy about it. Like mm. you're not walking on sunshine after a while; it's it's over. You know, <laughs> it's pretty dead after that. So yeah, I found like, and I just felt like that whole I had to be in heels and wear a dress and be this kind of like visual object on stage as well. And it just got old. It just got old mm. for me, and I it just wasn't. But it took me doing it to realize that it wasn't for me. You know. Yeah, I mean, how how do how do shows like that and the sort of environments that you were playing in, how do they affect your relationship with music? It became a job. Like, I wouldn't go, you know, my whole excuse for being in a cover band was that I was like, oh, well, I can make some money and then I can, that money can then pay for me in doing my original stuff. Because I was still writing all the while, but I would get home and I wouldn't be motivated at all to hear any more music I'd just be like oh music's a job I'm going to avoid it mm. other you know other than Friday Saturday Sunday nights when I had to play so yeah my relationship with music was probably at its weakest at that point even though I didn't know at the time but I was developing and and accumulating experiences for um, for now I guess eventually you you break out and you start playing guitar mm. in a in a bunch of bands based between Perth and Fremantle. Mm. The most familiar to the FBI radio listener uh, might be the punk outfit Boat Show. Mm. What was that transition like? So much fun. <laughs> I I I moved to Frio and I just kind of I. I really I quit the band I quit the cover band and I started working in a pub and funnily enough that moment was actually where I met all these musicians that were also working in pubs and and you know started playing around and and playing with them and and it just kind of yeah that was that was a real moment for me and and getting to play electric guitar fast and having to kind of you know learn I was I'm not a punk musician by any means so you know getting to kind of like be challenged in that way it was so awesome it was so much fun and being being part of like boat show was was so great yeah mm. it was so so great uh, we're, mm. we're jumping around a bit but I yeah. want to ask you um, eventually once your solo career takes off which we'll get to the next section mm. um, you had to kind of 
separate from some of these bands because mm. obviously your life just became so hectic. Mm. Can you tell me about that process? That was tough. I, I felt really sad to be leaving those bands, especially because, you know, so many opportunities that I got came from, you know, being in Boat Show or being on a tour with Boat Show and then doing like a side gig on my own. And, you know, I, was, I felt like I'd exploited that kind of, kind of thing, even though I hadn't at all. It was just everyone was doing their own thing. And I think that's the thing with Perth is that, yeah, you're in that band, but you're also in another five bands mm. and you, that band member is also in that band and you know what I mean it's very incestuous and it's a very small scene and it's it's very forgiving in that way so it was it was tough kind of leaving that those bands but I, I you know um, I'm so glad for those experiences and I know that there's no kind of hard feelings there or anything like that yeah the the next song we're playing is uh, Summer Soft by mm. Stevie Wonder mm. and this track's in tribute to Whopper. Yeah. What's the story here? <laughs> well, I, I was like, well, I've got to try and start singing like all these cool people that I'm in a course with. And I was like, I want to look into Stevie Wonder. And Stevie Wonder someone I grew up listening to. Luckily, my parents, you know brought me up on that sort of thing so it was amazing but I remember going through his whole discography and finding this song Summer Soft and he's the OG key change person you know that song um, <laughs> Baby It's You yeah, yeah, by yeah, Beyonce yeah, sure. well this song was like the original key change like <laughs> master at the end you'll hear it he, he, he changes keys like eight times another or something at the end of this song one. exactly it just keeps going and I found it to be such a good vocal exercise so to be like in the car kind of like singing along to this song was really kind of helped me helped me learn how to bloody sing <laughs> Summer soft wakes you up with a kiss to start the morning off in the midst of herself playing Santa Claus she brings gifts through her dreams morning rain gently plays her She plans to change to bring rain or sunshine. And so you wait to see what she'll do. Is it sun or rain for you? But it breaks your heart in two.
soul there, Stevie Wonder and Summer Soft. If that brightened up your day, you can thank not me, but Stella Donnelly. You're welcome. <laughs> She's right here in the FBI Radio studio for Out of the Box today. Stella, what made you decide it was time to start producing your own solo music in 2016? Um, I felt like my songs were, I guess... Um, me enough, you know, I, I'd written so many songs up until that point, but I, I feel like, you know, when you're young, you kind of, um, you move on really quickly. You know, when you're in your early twenties, you, things go out of fashion super quick. Like what you thought was amazing last week is now like so lame. So, you know what I mean? I would right. be writing songs and then like a week later, look back at them and go, oh my God, I don't feel like that anymore. Move on. And, you know, but I finally, I think, slowed down in my identity and I finally kind of felt comfortable within myself and who I am and what I want to say. And I think, yeah, that, that was the time, I guess, to put out that demo tape that I did that turned into an EP and turned into thrush metal and turned into everything here now. Yeah. If we can go back to the, the beginning there, mm. were you in a studio? Tell me about the recording process in the beginning. Um, so I initially tried to record in a studio and it just felt way too produced and way too kind of contrived and not me. I remember someone being like, maybe you shouldn't play the guitar in that part. Like I know a guitarist who's better. And he could do it. And I was like, okay. Uh, And it just didn't feel right. So I spent all this money and I just ended up like nixing the whole thing. I ditched the whole thing and had to kind of start again and recorded it in a lounge room on a like Squire Fender guitar from South Korea and through like a really shitty amp and... That's the EP. That's oh, it. Wow, yeah. this is yeah. th- this is the EP that, of course, became uh, Thrush Thrush mm, Metal mm, eventually in mm. 2017. Um, I want to ask you about the EP artwork. It's a mm. now perhaps iconic photo <laughs> of you eating ramen. Mm. Is there a story behind it? The story is well, George, George, who took that photo, is actually in my band now. He plays the guitar, and he also took. He also shot the video for Boys Will Be Boys. He's just an amazing, amazing person, and he's my best friend, really. And we. Um, we were going to do a photo shoot. I was like, well, I need a photo for this for this cassette tape that I'm putting out. Like, should we do a photo shoot? And we're like, yep, let's have lunch first. And he was getting the camera sorted. He's, we used film. So he was like, okay, quickly just pose with those noodles and I'll take a shot just to work out if the colour's okay and everything. And then we went on and did like two hours worth of photos around the streets of Fremantle. And they were like, okay, like the shots were the shots were great. I just looked a little bit fake in them all. And then we got them developed and the first photo that popped out of the, the, the role was that photo. And we were like, well, that's it. That's, that's the photo. The that's the shot. So, yeah, it was a super, like we didn't plan for it to happen at all. It, that was just kind of, you know, it was lunch. Yeah. I'm the happiest when I'm with food. <laughs> Boys Will Be Boys, uh, Stella, was the most impactful track um, off the EP. Mm. A very real exploration into an experience of sexual assault and rape. Can you tell me a bit about the story that inspired it? Yeah, well, at the time when I when I wrote that song, I, I just want to remind everyone that bef- I wrote this before these conversations were taking place in a public sphere. You know, I wrote this song before the me, hashtag Me Too movement had reemerged and in the big way that it did. And 
I you know, had never even heard of Me Too and, and these sorts of things. So I wrote this in a very trapped place, I guess. I feel like, um, you know, I, I'd seen things happen to friends of mine and, and I'd had my own experiences and was sick of that feeling of blame, you know, sick of that, like, responsibility falling back on the victims, you know, and I was really angry and, you know, when this thing when this particular situation happened to my friend and she kind of felt comfortable enough to open up about it, I remember just watching her get slammed by even female friends of mine who asked her, you know, what were you wearing that night or why did you get so drunk or why did you talk to that guy? And, I, you know, questions like that. And I just don't think that's good enough, you know. I think we need to stop questioning women and everyone on how they dress and how they act because no one's ever asking for it, you know. But I I also wrote this song from a very from – a, from a different place to that as well. I wrote it because I've got a 16-year-old brother and um, he was 14 at the time and I know so many uh, beautiful, gentle men in my life that, you know, don't fit into that whole boys will be boys, they're all the same attitude um, because I don't think they're all the same and I think – you know, we need to take responsibility for our actions and, and those sorts of things. So, yeah, that's the story behind Boys Will Be Boys. Even, yeah. even if you didn't know it at the time, a week later, the Weinstein well, yeah. after the release. I mean, can, yeah. can you talk about, um, I mean, you wrote it before it all happened mm. and then all of a sudden Me Too became the defining issue of, of 2017 yeah. into 18 yeah. even now. Can, can you, um, what was it like? putting out a song like that at the beginning of that kind of cultural moment? Well, I didn't know I was doing it. That's the craziest thing. I put out the video and the song and then three days later... Three days? Three days later, Harvey Weinstein was called out on Twitter and God. everything just went nuts. That's and almost it cosmic. Was, it was freaky. so weird. It was so, so weird. I had no idea, you know, that was going to happen and I kind of had to roll with it in a way and had to really kind of step up and, and um, you know... Uh, I didn't ask to be kind of painted as the voice of that or, you know, in any way, but I had to kind of step up to be, you know, to be able to speak out about why I wrote that song. I felt like people wanted to know and I had to kind of, you know, but get comfortable with telling that story, mm. I guess. Yeah. What sort of responses were you getting, let's say from, from women, for example? I had beautiful responses. I had, you know, um, heavy responses, I guess, people you know, came to me with their stories um, and, you know, hearing that song, uh, you know, I guess uh, opened up um, their memories of, of certain things and, and allowed them to forgive themselves or allowed them to to be more, um, you know, defiant in, in what they'd experienced and, and allowed them to forgive themselves or, or to not to realise that it wasn't their fault and those sorts of things. And I heard from fathers, I heard from, you know, grown men, I um, really like the the story about the farmer. Yeah, who the farmer. Triple J after he yeah, heard it for the first time. Yeah, can you, can you tell me that one? He called into Triple J and he was on his harvester out in the middle of a field, and he he'd stopped his harvester and and just kind of wept <laughs> in his tractor, and he said that he was going to go and you know show that song to his sons and daughters, and that meant so much to me. I mean, if I can if I can just kind of educate one person with that song. It, it, it's worth it for me, yeah. I also got a lot of trolls. I also got a lot of hate and death threats and all sorts of random stuff that happened in that time, but, you know. How do you work with that? How do you reconcile it? 
Um, at the time, it was pretty tough, but now I, I'm so glad that I've broken the bubble and that I wasn't just playing a song to like-minded people and that, you know, I was playing songs to people who had never thought about that before and, and had to kind of be challenged and, you know... I, I'm very lucky to be a white, privileged uh, Australian and, and, you know, use my platform to speak out. But there are people who cop it way harder than me just for being themselves. Um, so, you know, as hard as it was, I was able to really recognise my privilege at that point and realise that I, you know, I didn't have it that bad. Yeah. Stella, what can we play in tribute to the story of thrush metal? Um, well, I guess I, we're going back to the beginning, the right, really, really, really beginning of, of what I listened to when I was really, really young. And um, the artist Billy Bragg from England, um, he managed to protest uh, in such a way in his music that felt relatable to everybody, you know, and he was able to write love songs in such a suburban way and lyrically he was just so incredible. In one of his songs he's got, it goes, no amount of poetry can mend a broken heart but you can take the hoover out if you want to make a start and I love lyrics like that where you can kind of like put that straight into your own home and, and straight into your own relationship and yeah, Billy Bragg, he managed to really keep protesting and heartbreak in the same kind of album and this is it. What is that sound? Where is it coming from? All around. What are you running from? Something you don't understand. Something you cannot command. That's how I know. That she's got a new spell. Yeah, that's how I know. That she's got a new What's going down? Who's moved this room from round me? Where is it gone? I fear this night will drown me, so I lie awake all night. Cause I can't sleep with something I can't fight. And she's got a new spell. Yeah, that's how I know. She's got a new spell The laws of gravity are very, very strict And you're just bending them for your own benefit Out of the sky, 
That was English activist songwriter Billy Bragg. His track, She's Got a New Spell, was brought into FBI Radio today by singer-songwriter Stella Donnelly. Tonight, she plays the Opera House Forecourt. Soon, she releases her debut album. Right now, she is my guest on Out of the Box. Stella, what is Big Sound? What happens there? Big Sound is a... It's like the Rock and Roll Olympics of Australia. <laughs> just I to love paint your picture. Yeah. It's such a it's a it's a whirlwind week of just everyone who is everyone and everyone who wants to be someone going to this one place in Brisbane and uh, and performing and, and doing what they can. Yeah, it's great. It's you, beautiful. You were selected for Big Sound two thousand and seventeen. Mm. What happened to you there? Um, well, I was there with Bocho and myself and Bocho got in and I only got in like the last minute. Like I didn't think I was getting into Big Sound at all. Wow. They accepted me like late. Yeah. So I was already like, well, this is a bonus. I'm, I'm, a, I'm there as me as well. So I'm just going to like, you know, I just, yeah, I, I was just kind of, I was more focused on Bocho and then my stuff was kind of like a, oh, I get to play some sets as well. And then everything <laughs> kind of changed and, and, um, you know, I won the, the, the prize and, and yeah, just the, it just I didn't expect any of that to happen. And then I met Ben Swanson, who runs the Secretly Canadian label out of the States, and um, we signed a record deal. And, yeah, it's just bizarre. What yeah. happens when you get signed to an international label? Like, how, how does that work? Um, well, they we kind of we, it was really important to me that i remained independent in australia mm. so we we signed with them for uh america and england uh, sorry america and england uh the americas and europe <laughs> sorry right, 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 right. england aren't the eu for very much longer <laughs> um but yeah so we 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 kind of you know and essentially what they do is they they kind of uh help me out in in getting my music out there um in the other continents and and we kind of look after australia here and we do what we can here and we finance ourselves here but they kind of you know help me out over there and I love their label so much and I'm such a fan of the other artists that are on there so yeah it's great. Speaking of getting music out mm. uh, as I flagged you've got uh, your debut long play mm. is coming out on the 8th of March Beware of the Dogs. What's it like producing music when you're established as a musician as opposed to when you're kind of doing it in your bedroom or at the beginning of mm. your career it's so it's so it could be really different but for me I I was really adamant in not letting that affect how I write and I was really um I kind of had to really tell myself to shut that off and that's why I recorded the whole thing in Fremantle because it felt like I was just me again before, before any kind of crazy touring or anything happened. You know, I was back with my usual, with the usual suspects. And, and yeah, I, I was really important to me that I didn't let the backlash I got for Boys Will Be Boys affect the way that I wrote. You know, I didn't want to come, I didn't want to change or, you know, compromise on my lyrical content just because I was scared you know and I guess putting out old man as the first single was my middle finger I guess to those people and you know uh portraying the fact that I 
I'm not ready to be sh- be shut up about it yet. I don't think it's ready. I don't think we're we've done enough yet um, in helping you know the victims of, of sexual assault and these things. So, yeah, it was it was a it was a different process, but it was uh you know it was it was a lot more kind of it was a lot more fun as well having having the band with me and stuff like that. That was a big point of difference. Tonight you're playing at the Opera House Forecourt. Mm. Tomorrow night as well. In a few months, you play Fuji Rock. <laughs> With everything happening <sighs> so quickly, do you think about the future much, Stella? I haven't lately. I guess I've just been kind of just trying to <laughs> trying to get through the day. Not trying to get through the day, but you know, trying to get be in time, be on time for things, and and you know, be be present and be aware and and be able to engage with people um, all the time and, and stuff like that. But you know, I do think about the future. I, I'm looking forward to having more time to write. I think you know that that bug hasn't left me yet. I, I just want to keep writing and writing and and yeah, that takes time off. I think so. That's something that I look forward to. But at the time, at the moment, I'm really enjoying this. Yeah. What can we play out with? This is a song that's my my current obsession. It's it's a song by a Norwegian artist called Jenny Val. Jenny Haval is how it's spelt, and uh, she's got this song called Spells. And I listened to this nonstop on a flight from Perth to New York, which was a long plane ride. Um, and I just kept repeating this song again and again and again. And I hope you can too. A big thank you to my producers Nicole and Bree, and of course Stella Donnelly. Thank you very much for being my guest on Out of the Box today. Thanks for having me, Joey. Oh